0: Lose the Cape Podcast, episode 135. Well, maybe you guys just got out of a long 15-minute monologue from me. I don't know, but earlier I recorded a very heartfelt message about um, why we hadn't posted any new episodes in April and what was going on and updates with the show and how great our guest Darren Horn is and all these things. And I left my computer for a few minutes few hours sorry i had to go to a doctor's appointment and i came back and alas it had disappeared (sighs) and it's too bad because i think it was one of the better intros that i've given in a long time needless to say let me give you the cliff notes version april completely got away from us but with good reason at the end of march my father who had who had been um getting worse and worse, uh, after having multiple strokes and so forth, uh, became very ill and passed away on April 5th. So I, um, yeah, I had to take some time to deal with that. I was also running a really big online conference at the same time for the Alliance of Independent Authors and there were all kinds of things going on. So basically between conference season and publishing books and launching books and, um, trying to, Deal with my dad's death. Uh, we published no episodes in March, April, April. So, to those of our loyal fans who came looking for new episodes every week and never saw a new one being launched, I am so very sorry that there was nothing new there. But I have a new uh, empathy and compassion for anyone who has lost a parent. It's a completely different kind of grief than what I experienced when I lost my daughter. And um, it hits me in very strange ways and and weird times. Like today at the doctor's office, I went to go see my rheumatologist. I have um, lupus, and I've been having a lot of swelling and uh, discomfort in my joints again. And there's a multitude of reasons, but I'm really looking into the impact of gluten and dairy. And I was telling him that, you know, my dad has celiac disease. And then I stopped and I said... No, my dad had celiac disease. He just passed away. And then of course I lost it because I was like, Oh my gosh, this is yeah. So oh, it hits you at different times on weird times and you don't really realize how much how much it hurts until you've been down that road. So for all of you who have lost a parent, especially Uh, younger than they should have gone. I mean, my dad was 77, which in the grand scheme of things, he lived a good long life. But he started getting really sick when he was 67, which feels really young to me. And his last 10 years of life were not good. And my children have no memories of the man that I had that raised me. And so my sisters and I were talking about it, and it's like we finally have the opportunity to grieve the father that we really lost about eight years ago. The first couple of years weren't as bad, even after his first stroke, but there were some definite changes. I mean, the stroke will um, uh, remove some filters, we'll just put it that way. So he wasn't exactly the same man after his first stroke in 2008, but... Um, He wasn't that different but these last five years he's been so different and my kids don't remember my dad the the man that i knew and that to me is super sad so not trying to depress everybody here today but if you've recently lost a parent oh my heart is so with you it's hit me so differently than i thought it would um and i just wow my my new mission other than supporting his grieving parents is to make sure that when A friend loses a parent, uh, regardless of their age, that I at least send a card and text and even flowers and taking a meal and doing all those little things that just help people know that you're thinking about them and caring about them and trying to make life a little bit easier when they are going through the worst of times. So switching gears rather rapidly, you may have heard us talking about our new uh, Lose the Cape book, the third book, which is an anthology all about entering the years of tweens and teens. Woo-hoo! And today we have one of our contributors to the book and uh, a a dad here, so Darren Horn. We don't interview men very often, so he's one of the coveted few. It was a great interview with him. And we spent the first 15 or so minutes talking about something I had never even thought about before – And that is fathers who get postpartum depression. Did you even know that was a thing? I didn't know that was a thing. And listening and talking to Darren was really insightful and really opened my eyes to something I never even thought about. And that was the mental health and well-being of my husband after our children were born. So – Completely different discussion. Not to take away at all from the seriousness of postpartum depression for mothers, but certainly something else to consider and something to look at for new fathers as well. And then we rolled into his topic that he he actually works with teens on a regular basis. He um, is you know really works with teens in this challenging world of a new world and society that's so different than the way the world used to be. He has this "Be Your Own Hero" as a motivational tool. This is the problem with recording after the kids are home from school. They're part of the recording. But anyway, okay, so my dad, my dad, my children's father is home, and it's his birthday, May 2nd. So that's all I'm going to say about this. I know you're going to love the interview with Darren. He's fantastic. Enjoy the show. Okay, welcome back to another episode of the Lose the Cape podcast where we interview busy modern moms and sometimes dads like we are doing today and try and provide useful information that helps us all in our journey uh, discovering this thing called parenthood. Um, Today, we are super stoked to have our third man on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) We have Darren Horn, who is a speaker and an author. He's also English, so you're going to really enjoy listening to his accent. I might just let him talk the entire time. (laughs) Uh, Darren was actually diagnosed with PND, as they call it in the UK, which is postnatal depression. Postpartum mm-hmm. depression would be what you're probably used to hearing um, on this side of the of the pond. Um, well, he was diagnosed after the birth of his daughter, and he realized that he'd been dealing with depression and anxiety for most of his life. He works with uh, teenagers teaches media, focusing on social media and personal branding. He also runs a martial arts studio that focuses on developing the ability to surf the volcano of emotions that rise when we step out of our comfort zone, which I'm sure we can all um, appreciate. He's also a neuro-linguistic programming (laughs) practitioner, which you're going to have to explain to me because, whoa, that's (laughs) a lot of big words. Um, And he is the author of Level Up Your Teens, which seeks to help teenagers win at life. Um, and contributes. He contributes to Lead X, the Goodman Project, and the Mighty, which are all great sites. If you're not familiar with them, you should check them out. Thank you, Darren, for being here and talking about such an important topic.
1: Thanks for such a great intro. <laughs> I'm feeling very confident now. That's excellent.
0: Well, good. You should. No, and in, in all seriousness, this is such an interesting thing to me because we hear people talk about postpartum depression in mothers. Until I I read your bio when you send it over to us, I'd never heard of a man being diagnosed with PPD or PND. So this is super fascinating to me and I think something that um, we don't pay enough attention to because I wouldn't have even thought about it. So can you just kind of tell us about that and and how it was diagnosed and how you as a father uh, deal with that
1: yeah, absolutely. Um, I was quite lucky because I'd gone back to work, and I have a very um, caring manager, and she just she could just tell there was something wrong. And even in the language I used, there were warning signs, like little things I would say I didn't want my daughter to call me, call me dad or daddy as she grew older. I was like, no, no, she'll just call me down. And I can see now I was just creating like a barrier. Um, I thought I was being a good father by throwing myself into my work, but I was actually just avoiding being at home. And I just felt like I was in this bubble and I could see happiness outside with with my parents-in-law, my wife and my, my child. But for me, it just felt like a prison. It was horrible. Mm-hmm. So um, my manager at work found another guy who'd had experience with it, another teacher, and he observed me teaching. And then just casually afterwards was like, how's fatherhood? And I was I was just very negative and just, you know, I, I used really um, bad language to describe my, my daughter my my family and um uh, I was just not that that caring. I thought I was being funny, but I really wasn't. Um, mm-hmm. So then I went to the doctor. Thankfully, it was quite early on, and the, I had a male doctor who had young kids as well. And he was like, "You've got postnatal depression. You've got some trauma from witnessing the birth, and you just need to take some time to uh, deal with this." And he said it would probably go as I as I grew into fatherhood, as I grew into the role, and I, I grew up basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I realized. I probably had depression and anxiety most of my life. which just wasn't diagnosed. And I, I was cocky. I thought I could deal with it. I thought, I was like, you know, I'm very in touch with my emotions. I, you know, I, I, I deal with ego and emotions through martial arts. Um, I'm an intelligent guy. I'll just deal with it. I won't go on antidepressants. Um, it was just a terrible mistake. So right. I think it was, uh, she was born in January, maybe end of February I was diagnosed. Um, by November, I pretty much, annihilated my life, <laughs> my oh, business, no. my relationship with my, my wife. Um, and then I went back to the doctor and I was like, okay, <laughs> I need some help. And, um, and then went all in. I went on antidepressants. I, I changed my diet. Um, I did the neurolinguistic programming. I started reading uh, books and I really fought back and thankfully um, came out of it by January, I think.
0: Wow. Well, good for you for recognizing that you needed help, because I think that's um, just a stereotypical difference between men and women. I think that's something that men are often unwilling to to ask for help on stuff like that.
1: Well, what happened, my, I told my father, and, um, and he told my father, my father's a war Marine, so he was away, I'm not sure where he was deployed, and um, he went and he was a bit shook up I and mean, he went back to his unit and said, "Oh, I've just found out my brother's got postnatal depression. And apparently several of the guys in the room were like, oh yeah, I had that. And then yeah, the more like... people I told, the more men even uh, um, said, oh, I had that. Even my dad uh, thinks he may have had it because he was wow. in the Navy and he was like, I mean, you know, you were born and I went, I think like, the next day he went straight back to work and just wow. left, left my mum to kind of bring me up. for And, uh, and uh, I'm getting stories like that more and more. And I'm sure yeah. it, is different it's um i mean i don't know uh, from kind of a female perspective but i would imagine if the mother gets it it's more hormonal um mm. i think maybe with a guy it's I, I don't know what it is but an element of conditioning by education and, and media and um, like the fact i hadn't held a, a doll until the post uh, um oh i've forgotten what the, the classes are that you go when you're practicing to be about yeah the um Oh, I can't remember, but the that was the first time. I'd,
0: classes, the yeah, <laughs> exactly. That was
1: that was the first time I'd held a doll, and it, yeah, I just wasn't prepared. It just yeah. and it's too scary. It's just too scary. And I don't know why people don't talk about the birth. Like that's like I, I can't believe that every mother goes through that. And we had a very easy birth. It, it was mm-hmm. fairly fine, but. I remember my wife was screaming and we thought she had contractions but the nurses were like this isn't even contractions yet like you're just starting (laughs) and then it got worse and worse and worse um and then to think about you know the back pain internal organs moving around in the later months the the pain of birth and then Mm -hmm. I know afterwards whether it's breastfeeding and being awake every hour and the pain of that and just all this horrible stuff and because I come from a military family I would think what would my brothers have to go through that yeah. equals that, and I don't think there was anything, and yet right. we say, "Oh, um you know Mary was given birth the other day, oh that's nice, what was it what name did they settle on and now I'm like, she's given birth <laughs> is she okay <laughs> and it's it's interesting being in um in the environment I mean like, you know military family and with martial arts because you get kind of like tough guys who are like, oh, yeah, right. and want to fight in the cage and it's like guys, you know, you can fight in the cage, you can go climb a mountain, you can you can build a big skyscraper, nothing we ever do can ever rival a woman giving birth. It's like, just give up, just let them get the mantle. It's just...
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness, there's so many things I want to dig into on that. So first of all, I don't know in response to your question about whether it's hormones or not, because I know some women who have um, experienced postpartum depression as long as six to eight months to a year post giving birth. So I don't know if that's the case or not, but I I would say that I think there's probably an element and this is, I am not a psychiatrist. Let me just give this disclaimer. I am not disclaimer. I'm not a health professional or anything, but I think based on what you just said, there's probably a level of PTSD that impacts both men and women that also plays in, especially, I mean, if things are out of control, but it's, uh, you said so many interesting things and I'm curious from, a cultural standpoint, like in the U.S., we have a horrendous issue with um, with not treating mental health the way it yeah, needs yeah. to be treated and with people being afraid to say anything. And I'm curious, is it that way? I mean, you just mentioned you're, you're from a lot of a family and an environment yeah. with a lot of really men, menly men, yet mm-hmm. once you mentioned it, people were starting to talk about it. How is the mental health um, situation over there in general?
1: I, I think it... <laughs> I'd like to think it's getting better. We've got a lot of people speaking out, um, even in kind of celebrities, people like Stephen Fry, and there's lots of good authors. Um, because I work in uh, education, mental health amongst teens is atrocious. It's, yeah, it's, here they're, too. They're, they're coming out of school with low self-esteem. You know, There's anxiety, depression, self-harming, suicide attempts. So it's always been on my radar. And, um, and I've always been uh, aware of how damaging that can be and how they don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. it's going to be even more damaging so i'm not sure in in the circle i'm in it's okay and yet i went i did a um okay it's called a youth mental health first aid course uh, a few weekends ago and i I went to a town in the west of cumbria which is much more kind of like a poorer town and uh, the people there were saying there's much more of a stigma around it still and you Mm -hmm. wouldn't be able to uh, speak so freely so i think it just depends where you are you know um in my friendship group are fine. And also I'm very articulate about it. I can, um, right. so I, I'm happy to you know, defend myself or if right. not that I should have to, but I'm happy to talk about it, explain it, be curious about it. But yeah. there is, the stigma's there, but yeah. it shouldn't be. We need to act as though it isn't.
0: <laughs> right. Well, I just want to say congratulations to you for, um, for not being, not letting being, a you know, quote unquote, yeah. my air quotes here, the manly man and not talking about it because I think that as more men and women see, and teenagers, oh my goodness, the more that they're exposed to role models and to other people, uh, especially in the, oh, that could never happen to him or her category, start speaking about it, it'll make it better. Um, I know that I, well, you're probably not very familiar with my story, but I had twins that were born super early and one of them passed away two days after they were born. And I'd always suffered. Now, now in hindsight, I can say I was dealing with a little bit of anxiety and depression my whole life. And then after that event, it just like obviously blew out of the water. Um, and for a long time, I had refused to seek help or to, um, to you know, be on medication because, you know, I'm not the type of person that needs medication, same as you, right? But but within days of our situation, my doctor came in to check on me and I was like, I need, I know, I can tell you right now, I'm going to need some help. And he put me on medication and that was the best decision that I Mm -hmm. ever made. And I stayed on it for five years. In fact, I didn't just, I just finally weaned myself off of it this last year because I felt I was ready, but- um, I think it's super important for people to realize that medication is not a bad thing. Yes, yeah. there are all kinds of methods and things that you can do to help yourself and blah, blah, blah. Yes, I know the message is about you don't need, necessarily need medication, but sometimes you do. So don't yeah. feel ashamed.
1: <laughs> but the way my, the doctor framed it to me, he was like, do you take uh, vitamins in the morning? I was like, yeah, I take vitamins and omega-3. He's like, antidepressants are just like a vitamin boost. You're right. just giving your body what it's lacking right now and exactly. it'll help you. So. Exactly.
0: Well, well, good for you, and and thank you for talking about it, and thank you for bringing awareness to it. I mean, from a not to make light of a serious situation, but from a kind of joking matter, I can just kind of see your wife saying, "Wait a minute, this is supposed to be my show, and you're stealing it."
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So but I think. I think
0: uh, go ahead.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say that. Um, I, I think it's hard to spot like i get that the the pregnancy the birth and the, the you know a few months after it is all about the mother and it should be mm-hmm. and the guy does get a little bit um ignored so and, I, I yeah, <laughs> I, and i yeah and i don't have an issue with that because the, yeah. the mother should be the focal point but at the same time it's um in that shadow you can get lost um Absolutely. and so it's just worth keeping an, eye, keeping an eye on the fathers as well just sometimes
0: Um, i i agree and i think um i mean i just said this but i'll repeat it it's really important that we talk about it and that it's um something that people even know because i I don't think i would have even thought to to do a mental health check-in on on my husband um and i really should have done better about that especially well you know what let me put it this way i couldn't so I think because of where I was, but I think it's important that we as a society realize and understand that it's a possibility and that maybe other people within the inner circle keep an eye out for dads, not yeah. just the moms.
1: Because we have uh, health visitors come in uh, like several times in, in a few months after you bring the baby home. And not at one point did she say, oh, can I just have five minutes with, with you Darren? Can I just mm. check how you're doing? Um, it's just mm. still not part of the culture. But in terms of the diagnosis, there was a part of me that was hugely relieved. I just thought right. I was, I was a, a bad father. I thought I was a terrible father, a terrible husband, a terrible person. Um, and then they said, no, no, you're sick. And part of me was like, oh, oh okay. <laughs> this is going to get better.
0: Yeah, that's so good. That's good. And now you said your daughter's about 20 months old?
1: yes just uh two in january
0: great so how how are you doing now and,
1: uh, yeah amazing it's um it, it it moves very quickly and you think every stage is wonderful and you don't want it to move on but then the next stage is just as good and she's she's you know she's saying worse. She you can hang out with her now like you can play yeah. with her and you can kind of semi-communicate and yeah it's wonderful and i feel bad like, whenever i hear stories of um you hear stories about oh the dad left you know the, um, the 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 mother gave birth and then the dad left like within a month and how how low a human being is he and now I just think wow maybe he had depression yeah. and he's just throwing his life away uh, yeah. his, his relationship with his kid his relationship with his wife and I actually feel sorry for those guys now and yeah, I also it was I could never understand people doing that and now you know
0: you have a, if, if, it it's so interesting like i think as you go through different stages in life and you experience it firsthand you have a completely different uh view on what people might be going through and experiencing and yeah. a kind of a, an empathy i guess that builds up you just never know you never know what's happening inside someone's life
1: that's it um and th- go ahead uh part of that that empathy um once i got <laughs> through it and I'm, it's, I still had to manage depression and anxiety but sure. the feeling I have for my daughter the feeling of love is just nothing I've experienced before that's yeah. exploded uh, over my wife as well but I also found it extended to more of the planet so mm-hmm. like I can't watch kids being hurt in right. films now and I right. and if I see kids like kids charities it hurts more and um I I care even more for my own students which is how yeah. I ended up writing the book because you know my teenagers are in pain so i was like well here's here are the skills that i've learned over the last year that are helping me so let's get it out there and um uh, i get more frustrated now um hate Uh,
0: yeah i i I, I feel that same sort of empathy since becoming a parent how it's different how the world changes how the world changes you as a person um so i was going to ask you a question and i just lost it uh, darn it. It'll come back as we're chit-chatting, I'm sure. So let's talk about your book and your work okay. with teens. We'll move into that. And if we if we jump back to this topic again, it's not a bad thing because it's an important topic. Um, uh, okay. So let's talk about what do you do with teens? How did you start that? And what made you decide to write the book?
1: Okay. So with teens, I, I focus on media in the past. Anyway, I, I was I taught filmmaking. I, I made short films and music videos and stuff, um, but that was not really my passion. And in, during since having a daughter I've realized because no one holds their daughter in their arms and says I want you to go through an education system to get a job so you can work 40 50 hours a week for not very good money until you die <laughs> so I, I look at my students now and it's like there's a different way so I, I try and teach them kind of entrepreneurship and personal branding social media and um, I'm also trying to teach them Who be aware that they're going to need to keep learning and changing because they're going to be working in 2030. I have no clue what 2030 looks like. It's going to, (laughs) there's almost nothing I can teach them that can prepare them. And I'm 40 now, and the first 30 years of my life don't really help me in 2017. Like the world is so different. (laughs) So, um, great. We I, grew I just, up with
0: record players and, and the end of eight tracks and whoa, exactly. CDs were like, whoo, and now it's like CDs, you old fart. <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly. So I just try and get them to engage with the modern world and I try to get them to basically be the hero of their own journey because I teach film. There's a okay. narrative structure that goes through them all and, you know, whether it's The Hobbit and The Shire or whoever the hero should be scared of of the journey, the quest, the call to adventure, but they go on it anyway and they learn the skills on the journey. And I like Star Wars a lot. So I always say that Luke wasn't a Jedi in the first movie. He left home and he got the skills on the journey. So I just use that as a tool to empower people. Um, And all the things you would do in the hero's journey, like seeking mentors. So whether it's Gandalf or Obi-Wan Kenobi or Dumbledore, we do that in real life as well. Same thing with me dealing with depression. I would say, okay, I'm the hero of this journey i'm Not doing well, I need to find allies, I need mentors, I need you know a, a doctor on my squad. I need I, I found authors, um, there's a guy called Matt Haig who wrote Reasons to Stay Alive, which I found really really helpful. And um, uh, you know, I needed um uh, antidepressants, almost like magic uh, potions and things, and I just worked my way through that. Um, and the, the overall arch of, of the hero's journey is the thing you desire most is in the cave and where your greatest fear is and you've got to overcome your greatest fear to get the thing you desire. So I just use that as a motivational tools for teenagers, um, to hopefully work out who they are and what they want to do yeah. and not which one of their, um, cause they've got voices in their head. Basically, they've got their parents <laughs> influence. They've got their, their friends influence, and then they've got their influence and it's like, and, and they're so unwilling to make decisions for themselves. Um, Does that make sense? Yeah,
0: perfect. Perfect sense. I have a 10-year-old and um, I am pretty terrified about what the next three to six years are going to bring us. Yeah, (laughs) But, you know, and it's so funny. I think it's really interesting how the world has changed just, I mean, in so many different ways, but especially how we approach, like, how we interact with our teens and doing things with them. And, like, all he wants in the entire world is to be a YouTuber. Yeah. He loves video games. He wants to do YouTube things. And, I, you know, back in when we were growing up, let's compare it to wanting to be an artist, I suppose, because yeah. we obviously didn't have YouTube. You know, people would look at you and be like, that's stupid. You're never going to have a career as an artist. So don't waste your time. Go get training yeah. in something that will. And I feel like we're finally starting to make that shift to realize, you know, like you said, who knows what the world is going to look like in 2030. Exactly. We could have never predicted that it would look like it does now, but odds are technology is only going to continue. So you know what? Why not cultivate those types of skills in them? Set him up so that he's in a safe environment. Watch what he's doing. Let him have his YouTube channel. Let him grow his confidence, his skill. You know, you never know. He could become Dan TDM, which I don't – if you know who he is, he's a famous YouTuber for video gamers. All the kids with – all the moms with 10-year-old sons are like, yeah.
1: <laughs> but that, that's exactly right. He could make it. And and at least give them a, the, the, until 25 to try, you know. Right. It, obviously, they've still got time to turn their life around. Right. Um, and the skills that you're talking about are transferable. And it, chances are – that the future will be much more of this, like video uh, communication. So many jobs now involve presenting to clients or presenting from right. stage, uh, talking to an audience. All those communication skills, empathy skills, emotional intelligence, that's the future, really. Right. Right. Um, and there's jobs going to be created that don't exist yet. So Absolutely. Um, all you can do is do, as I'm sure you're doing, is be supportive um, and create a safe environment, as you said, and then see how the world changes.
0: Exactly. And I mean, its he's not the first kid that didn't like doing math and science homework. So sure. it's not like I'm ruining yeah. his life by, <laughs> by not forcing him to make A's in those areas. But I don't know. It's scary, though. And then I have two girls following behind that. And I'm scared of the teenage world for completely different reasons for them. But yeah. still, they, they need that kind of confidence and encouragement, too. So your book, um, it's Level Up Your Teen, right? Yes.
1: Yeah, yeah yeah it's well it's level up your teens and it's a weird thing that happens with america and the uk in in my head it's uh level up your teens meaning level up your teen years so it's kind of targeted at teenagers to uh-huh. to get the most out of their teen years but in america you you kind of think of it as aimed at parents aimed at their teens does that make okay. sense yeah Whereas if i'd call it kind of level up your 20s nobody would <laughs> like, get confused so I think I've probably got the title wrong <laughs> oh that's all right <laughs> but it's linked to I'm um, like I'm a gamer as well and obviously I like films but it's linked to that idea that in a role-playing game for example okay. like Skyrim or something you you go on quests and you develop skills and you level up and okay. we do that in life but because we can't see like this skills tree like if we could see, okay, my presentation skills are like seven out of a hundred. I've got a couple of hours. I'm just going to up my presentation skills a little bit. Uh-huh. Whereas in the game, in games, I've chopped wood for like an hour just to <laughs> level up some skill. It's, it's right. insane. But in life, we don't do that. So it's just trying to get them to realize that the skills, the way they live in online and in games, they can actually convert to real life. So like a good example is in a role-playing game, if you go to a town, you will talk to everyone in case they've got some nugget of information. And yeah, I'll be at a party and I'll talk to two people. <laughs> and right. It's, it, that's insane. Um, I'll, go explore, I'll explore every area of a game, but I won't explore my hometown. <laughs> it's,
0: right. life, is, life
1: is more miraculous than games, and yet we, we value the game more.
0: Now, that's such interesting. Well, just so you know, I did get the title, but then again, I have gamers. So I, I <laughs> yeah, figured absolutely. that's what it meant, but um, good explanation on it. Yeah. Um, so what types of stuff then do you talk about in the book to get them to understand this message? And I'm assuming you have some implementation steps or something.
1: Yeah, it, it goes. <laughs> so it kind of follows that hero's journey overall. And, um, and then I just drop in tips and a lot of it is signposts because it's a very short book. And, um, partly because teenagers don't always want to read and also because if you've got depression you definitely don't want to read and so it's kind of short chapters um but it will be things like uh the language you use so it will say things like um if if you say oh i have to go to college it's a very heavy slumpy word and you can start to feel sorry for yourself i have to go to college but it's actually what you say is i choose to go to college today and it's much yeah. more empowering because you right. do choose. You could not go to college. You True. could not go to school. There will be consequences. But and let's, cons- let's
0: clarify here. College in the UK is like our high school, right?
1: No, um, so it's, 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 it's... before it's,
0: university level? Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah but okay. it's, it's kind of... 16 to 18 year olds okay. usually um, yeah
0: here here we call college university so it's a little bit sure. confusing I, there so okay sure, but <laughs> just, just to not... clarify so that people know we're talking about basically like high school age yeah <laughs> yeah exactly but i don't even, know if i needed to clarify that or not but i
1: <laughs> but even with work you could say oh i have to go to work and it, it makes you dislike your life you certainly right. choose to go to work if you right. don't go to work are consequences so, it, but then you just say, Well, what happens then? So, I don't go to work. Okay, I could probably get away with not going to work for a couple of days without getting into trouble. Eventually, I might right. get fired. And what right. happens then? Well, then I can't make rent. And what happens then? Well, I guess I'll have to move in with my parents or my brothers Whoa. or something. And what happens then? Well, I guess I'll start looking for another job. And like, life continues. Like, right. We we over exaggerate obstacles, um, because I guess because we're so. Programmed to look for dangers, you know, sabers, you tigers or dinosaurs, whatever, and we don't have them. So we over exaggerate people not liking us or people not liking our Facebook status or even the disciplinary, even like, oh no, I I could get a warning. It's actually pretty hard to fire somebody. Um, So that's one thing. Other things are things like anchors. So if you're going to an interview or you're feeling kind of weak or or difficulty getting out of bed, what do you wear? Like if you're a, a hero in a film, if you're in a game, the costume is important. You know, right. Batman wears—he's—you know—what's your armor that you're putting on? So, you know, I've got this thing here, which is mm-hmm. uh, actually an anxiety anchor for me. It makes me feel mm-hmm. kind of like a Spartan warrior or something. So it makes <laughs> me feel strong. Um, I've Love got some—I've got some hand-me-up boots for my kid brother. Um, he's the Royal Marine, in, because he's so confident, like, you can pick him up and drop him anywhere on the planet. He'll just be like, right? What are we doing? So whenever I I'm struggling, I think, I've got my brother's boots on. These boots have got the confidence in, in them. So that bleeds into me. Um, I love it. And down to mindfulness. So um, you know, if you're worrying about the future, it's, it's pointless because it's uncontrollable and you get anxious. And most of those things you worry about won't come to pass. You can worry about things that um, you can't do anything about. And if you're locked in the past, you're just regurgitating and the interesting thing with the past, this is one of the things I say, is every time you like, access a memory, you're basically editing it and you're, you're adapting it to suit your purpose. So if you want sympathy from the person you're talking to, you'll make it sound worse than it actually is. But then your brain kind of rewrites it. So what, we, I, I have this thing where, let's say you've been bullied at school. So you bring up the, the memory and you think, okay, is it surround sound? I mean, you're in virtual reality. So if it's that powerful, stop that. Pull it down into like a little four by three TV. And it's just tiny. So you think, okay, there's the memory of me being bullied. I'm gonna make it black and white because I don't wanna give it that much power. There's the bully. Um, I'm gonna re- change the volume, the the, the the kind of the tone, and make him sound like Daffy Duck. And I'm gonna speed up the, the video so he runs around and looks like s- silly. That's my memory. I get, to, I get to decide how much impact a memory has on me. I don't yeah. need to keep allowing it to to harm me if it's harming me i need to edit the memory if there's nothing else i can do about it so i mean it's not easy i mean it takes practice to keep doing it
0: (laughs) but that's an amazing way to look at it i i never really thought about the concept of editing a memory i know um so many of us get in these traps of being kind of stuck by by memories that hold us from hold us back from doing other things so that's a really cool way to look at it
1: it's just kind of, um, that game used to play at school where you'd whisper something to a friend's ear, they'd whisper mm-hmm. it to the next person's ear, and the 10th right. person would have a different message. It's just like that. Every time you think about it, it changes. Yeah. Um, and I, once I realized that, um, I, you know, I, 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 my relationship with my whole family got better. Because then you don't bring up stuff from, like my memory of my childhood is distorted. Like, right. I, I can remember some things, can't remember others, it's, it's strange. So, um, I just don't give, let it give me uh, have any power over me anymore. Um,
0: huh.
1: So, th- so the book's full of tips like that. <laughs> that that
0: tip right there could save many people thousands of dollars in therapy. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> because oh my it's, goodness! It's just seeing it from your point of view. You know, it's, uh, and there's loads of movies like that where it's a movie called like one, for example, and they say the same story from like three or four different points of view, and it's just it's just your point of view,
0: right? Um, that's so interesting. So now is all of this tied into the uh, neuro-linguistic programming? Is that, yeah. is that what's happening there?
1: Yeah, I think a neuro-linguistic programming overlaps massively with other therapies like uh, cognitive behavior therapy. Um, it brings in mindfulness and, and anchoring and it's just also just, just life hacks. So at its basis, it is an understanding that our perception of the world is distorted. And everyone also has their own map of the world. Everyone has their own kind of view of it and reasons for acting the way they do. But most importantly, or most interestingly to me, it's an understanding that the language you use programs our brain. And we can program our brain for success or, or failure. And we can filter in good or bad things. So, for example, I think Tony Robbins says something like this. He gets everyone to look around the room and picture everything that's red and then close their eyes. And it's like, okay, what was red? And people list it off. And he's like, okay, well, keeping your eyes closed, what was blue? And no one can remember anything because they weren't right. filtering in the blue. Right. Same when I bought my car, on the, as I was driving at home, I now saw, it seemed like everyone on the planet has the same car as me. I'd never <laughs> seen that car anywhere. Right. So then you start to filter in the positive things. So where are the good stories? Where are the, same thing when I had a child, my, my, um, my wife wasn't full on wanting a child and then she, she got broody and it was, it was, it was like a bell, going off in her head she was just like i need a baby and i said oh okay i didn't expect this um give me six months to kind of get my head around it because the only reason that i only ever saw kids when they were being badly behaved or yelling in restaurants right. so they were, right. that was the only way they were on my radar <laughs> but when i sat back and started to filter in the good kids the really sweet kids playing with their dad the really well-behaved kids in restaurants the kids kind of just having fun i was like, actually not all kids are annoying this could be good so, yeah. neurolinguistic programming touches on a lot of elements like that, um, and and like, that. Sorry, yeah,
0: i was that's just like, going to say that, a, that, that. Sure, go ahead. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's, it's just that feeling of. Um, it's also linked to kind of stoic philosophy, really. But a, a, an event happens; it it impacts me in some way, but I get to decide how I'm going to respond. I'm not okay. a slave to my emotions. I'm not a slave to uh, uh, an event. And my trainer really. Um, we weirdly said something when we were going through training and I, I can't remember what I said but I said something like oh I feel bad because and she said Down it's optional to feel bad
0: mm. like,
1: it's optional <laughs> and it, it, it's flippant to say it, it because it, it's hard and I can't always do it and yeah. I, I have to practice but
0: yeah.
1: you get to decide whether you're offended or upset or angry it, it's Depends what the event is <laughs> but on the whole
0: absolutely absolutely well that's such a that's such a positive i mean i mean i can imagine it would take a lot of work to actually get to your point where you can flip that script uh in your mind yeah. um, and you, but it is it's
1: it's, and a it's, ha- it's having like anchors around you so um, i think my screensaver at work is like a quote that's um that along those lines um my, i have it i'm in a Facebook. I've got a Facebook bot or something that every day feeds me a quote um, along those lines. I've got things all around me that remind me. Um, my wife is now uh, aware of this. So if I start to act in a certain way, she'll use my own coaching against me. <laughs> and she'll be like, well, don't you get to decide this? i was yes, just give me a second. <laughs> um, and so it's mainly remembering how to do it.
0: Yeah. Um, Well, in general, the world is such a better place when you're not constantly bogged down by all the bad, and you figure out how to to do these types of things. So, yeah. And what a better great group, better group of people to teach these kinds of things to than teenagers, because they're already so broody anyway.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. But that's. But again, going back to programming, they weren't always like that. Like having again a daughter who. all our kids learn how to walk. They never think this is too hard. Walking right. walk, It's not for me. And they learn how to talk and they learn and they're curious and they're adventurous and they're brave and they're very flexible and they don't care um, how they look and they judge people and how they behave, not on the color of their skin or their sexuality or anything. And then yeah. they're programmed by the media and the education system to not be like that because so there's a fortune to be made in our unhappiness and they want them to buy makeup and deodorants and, and new phones and new clothes just so they can kind of fit in. And it's, I mean, I get a bit paranoid about it, but I see it yeah. as something that's being done to them on purpose because yeah. the mental health issues shouldn't be that big.
0: Absolutely. I mean, this is kind of unrelated, but kind of related. I had the pleasure of going on my kindergartner's field trip the other day. And I, I at one point in time, the thought clearly ran through my head. You know, there's a bunch of just crap going on in the world right now I was looking around Mm -hmm. at these five-year-olds who it's a very diverse group of kids all colors all ethnicities all kinds of things and they're just so like loving and helpful and excited about everything and I was like man what would this world be like if we could somehow all act like kindergartners I mean, obviously, you know, on the on the important stuff, we need a little (laughs) bit more maturity on some things. But they still throw temper tantrums. But
1: (laughs) but I like um, I I think we can learn so much from them. Like um, my uh, the students I teach can be quite restrained and not want to make a fool of themselves. But because I've got a daughter now, you know, I've done like the big bad wolf voices. (laughs) I've done like snake voices. I've I've sang songs and. I just got over it like she loves it when I do this stuff Um, and so it doesn't worry me if if I need to sing in class or whatever and I, I just try to model my daughter and hopefully remind my teenagers that once they were amazing and that's another thing of NLP that if you look at the timeline of your life at some point in your life you were absolutely amazing you had a day where you nailed everything and Or you were confident, or you were charming, or you were on fire or motivated. And so you can go back. And all of us at some point, you know, when we were one, didn't have anxiety and depression. You right. know, we were happy. So we've got it in us. Yeah. <laughs> we just need to access that part.
0: Absolutely what a positive message. <laughs> so do you have, do you have a website? Do you have a place where you put these kinds of things for people to find? Or yeah, I'm kind you of... You need to. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm working on it. I'm, I, I'm on uh snapshot a lot that tends to be because teenagers on snapchat so right. i tend to be on snapchat <laughs> i was gonna
0: say that that doesn't surprise me <laughs> <laughs>
1: um i've got a website which is my name it's www.darrenhorn.com with as horn with an e on the end it's it's kind of in progress at the moment but um i've got a blog there which i'll start to uh, use more um but but anyway on social media i um, i I, I talk about depression and anxiety quite a lot. I'm also a big feminist. I was before I had a daughter, but now I'm yeah. like, oh, yeah. We need to make the world a safer place for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, and I'm just all about empowering people and just helping you be the hero. Because, like, another element, one of the things I love about neurolinguistic linguistic programming is this idea that not everything has to be true all the time. People really okay. want things to be like black and white. And I have two ways of looking at life sometimes. So, sometimes, I'm the only person that exists. I may be in a computer game right now, or, and if I walk out the room, that's when that room is generated. So my wife currently doesn't exist because I'm not in the room. <laughs> like it's all about me. This is the me show. And that's good because that gives me confidence and it fuels my ego when I need it in a positive way. Other times I do that thing, like the Google maps thing, where you just pull back and you realize that in the timeline of the universe, your existence is meaningless. And in the size of the universe, It's meaningless. Nothing is personal. The universe isn't out to get you and nothing really matters. And I use whatever one makes, makes, gets me through the day. (laughs) Both both can be true. Let
0: me ask you a question since you are in the thick of it with the teens, you know, I was having a really interesting discussion the other day about, um, the way the workplace is changing because of the way millennials approach the workplace. And it was actually, um, it was a very discouraging conversation, I guess, because I, well, first of all, I spent seven years in the military and then three years working for Homeland Security. So I'm very rigid, like in my expectations of what happens in the workplace, you know, and I don't understand this idea of bosses, just allowing people to show up at work an hour late and their workout clothes. I'm like, you set the expectation. You're the boss. And they're like, yeah, but they won't, they won't come to the job if we don't allow those types of things. So I'm curious, is this something that, we should expect more of, and we should just go with the flow and hope that people are are giving their best, even if it's not in our traditional rigid standards? Or is this fixing itself with what you see in teenagers now?
1: I think in terms of their generation, they're in a world where um, they're not that motivated. Um, They don't feel as though they're ever going to massively achieve because certainly in our country, they're told that they're probably not going to move out of their parents' place until they're 30. Oh, good Lord, stop
0: that message. (laughs) Stop that message right now. (laughs)
1: Um, If they do get a degree, it actually doesn't mean as much as it used to anymore. And they're working part-time jobs at minimum wage with people with degrees. So it's like, well, what are they supposed to be doing? And, and they don't trust the media, wisely so. They don't trust banks. They don't trust the government anymore because they've grown up in this world where all of that's come tumbling down and yeah. conspiracy theories are everywhere. They don't know what to believe. And if you don't know what to believe, you don't know what to do. And if you don't know who you are because you've got all these influences around you, you don't know what you should be doing. <laughs> so you're stuck. And I think the problem happens with managers rather than leaders. I think if you get a good leader as a manager, then these millennials want somebody to follow they, they want someone to um, inspire them and they they want to keep being uh, valued and they want to keep growing they want to keep learning so doing they like paying their dues as we would probably call it isn't a big thing for them because they can see people their age even 16 15 who are earning tons of money who haven't paid their dues so i think with good leadership they can still be encouraged um but i think things need to be justified like one of the things that even i fight against is this idea that you have to wear a tie for work and i think well what job do you need to wear a tie for And what does that mean anymore because you know google guys don't wear ties i don't think amazon do facebook they, the big successful companies now are much more informal um and so ties seem to be associated with banks and politicians which nobody wants to be associated with or car no. salesmen <laughs> so no to it's, the tie. <laughs> so it's just little things like that um i'm surprised that Allowing them to come in to work like that, that doesn't make sense. But flexible hours, I, I get, because yeah, life is I get, hard.
0: I, I get flexible hours. I, I've always been a big proponent of that. And I, um, I and one of the things that I always thought we should be able to do more of, if you're disciplined and can do it, is working from home. Yeah, absolutely. Because I know that I could accomplish more in four hours in my home than I could often do in eight hours in the workplace. Yeah. Not every, not everybody can. But ju- well, let me preface that by saying, just because not everybody can handle that doesn't mean you should not allow people to do it. Totally, um, and that's that's because, management again. Like some yeah, managers exactly. think
1: they have to see you to know that you're working. Even right. and and sometimes I, I've been at work and not done any work. You know, I've just oh, been... oh
0: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I can think of many a days when we just sat around the literally sat around the coffee pot all day long and yeah. chit chatted about stuff. I mean, but you don't get in trouble because you're at work
1: exactly right <laughs> exactly um, yeah. and it, it does frustrate me that so many things could be done by video call even down to, at schools uh, in Cumbria um, the population is quite spread out it's quite a spread out community i suppose so people have to travel their parents would have to travel quite far for parents even if and i every time i'm like why are we making them why are we doing this face-to-face just let's just do it by mm-hmm. Skype or something maybe we right. can give them a time they then don't need to worry about kind of childcare for their brothers and sisters or getting in for work or dinner they can just quickly log on for 20 minutes have a chat and it's done same with advice evenings at, at schools think or, or for college or for university we could just do a webinar I could just right. be like I'm the media lecturer any questions send them my way but they want everyone to come into the place and People don't have time for that anymore. Like, money's worth less. Bills are, more, are higher. Everyone's doing overtime. Everyone's tired and struggling. So we, we need to be using technology to simplify our lives to give us a chance of, of winning.
0: I I agree with you completely, and boy, we took that conversation in a completely different way. But I'm just kind of <laughs> curious about your insight into the teenage mind and what I can anticipate with my children. And um, yeah. they will not be living with me till they're thirty. God help me. But <laughs> <laughs> that's why I'm setting my son up as a YouTuber now, so that he'll be fully Sorry. financially <laughs> independent by the time he's eighteen.
1: <laughs> and it's just the bravery. Like a lot of the, they, they'll say things that are based. on on no fact whatsoever so they'll say i can't go to university because i can't afford it and i say well how much does it cost yeah i don't know like thousands or they'll say i can't go traveling because i can't afford it i'm like well how much does it cost oh i don't know loads they they don't know and a lot of this is also because parents haven't been open with their lives so um so they don't know what a mortgage is they don't know how much their parents earn and i i get that that might be a touchy subject but if they don't know how much you earn they can't relate that to how hard you work or how many hours you work and they can't relate that to the house you live in um. they, 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 they need to know about things like you know how much gas is or how much electric is and, and how um how much I don't know, uh, interest rates are and loans and, and things like that and because they don't know life skills like that they don't know how to go into the world um so they, they say, Oh, you know, I can't afford to move out. So how much do you think it is to move out? It's and particularly when you're young, oh, you don't need anything. You need a room and a right. sneaker bag on the floor and pot noodles and it's just Oh, um, it's
0: it's so funny. My my son and his best friend and my nephew have all already decided that they're going to as soon as they graduate high school, they're getting an apartment together and they're gonna um, set up their gaming council consoles and <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> game I'm like you know what? I'm I'm totally down with the getting your own apartment thing. The rest yeah. of it, you'll have to figure out.
1: Exactly. And and if they do that for three years and it comes tumbling down, what a great three years they'd have. It's, exactly. Like we we don't want to do the plan B before plan A has failed and crashed and burned.
0: You know what? You know what? This is completely off the topic here, but I think uh, I just turned forty. Well, I turned forty this last year. I'm approaching my forty first. But um, I think that. Um, the midlife crisis thing is real and I think yeah. allowing our kids to do things like that because I grew up in the pressure it was you graduated high school you went to college you started working and there was no you know that's just the way it was I, I would give anything to have a few more years of just kind of figuring out the world in yeah. there someplace
1: absolutely
0: and yeah so that's great well, it has been so much fun talking to you. I could probably talk to you for about seven more hours, but um, <laughs> we're running long here. And so where can people find you? And your book is on Amazon. We'll make sure that we have that link in our show notes.
1: Yep, that'd be great. Um, if, you, if you just go to my website, downhorn.com, I think in the bottom right-hand side, there's some links to uh, the social media. Um, but I am on I mean, social media. Lecturer. So I'm on everything down okay. home on Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, everywhere. And feel free to connect and, and message. I, I reply to everyone.
0: Well, we'll be following you and sharing all your stuff. And thanks so much. <laughs> this has been a really fun conversation and reminds me why we need to have guys on the show from time to time. Totally different perspective.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> thanks.